It is amazing being here with you this morning. And man, it's uh, we, we are back at two services. Some of you are liking and some of you are disliking. And uh, for me, I will say that it's going to be great. I love the um, community in between services. One of my favorite things about two services is the interaction in the foyer of the people who came first service. And if it was a good service, they come out happy. If it was a bad service, I, I kind of just hide out. You know, I pray for somebody in the front row. Please don't see me right now. I'm just praying. And so... Um, but, but I love two services. It gives all our volunteers, our Ignite team, those who volunteer at Luminous, an opportunity to attend service as well as go to a service and so, uh, or as well as serve at a service. So it's very helpful. Um, and it also gives us some elbow room. So if we were to take you with first service and put you in here, it would have been pretty tight. And for a family of seven like Jose, they would have not been able to find a row. And it would have been very frustrating and disappointing as you come to church, maybe for the first time, wondering, you know, is, is this a place that I can fit in and you can't find a seat? And so, so it's great, but it also has the crazy room dynamics. If enough people don't come to a service, the songs are like, kid. Don't sing too loud. They're going to hear me. You know, it's, it's all, oh, you know, I, I love, like, interacting with the MC on the front row. You may see me talk to them or text the team in the back to troubleshoot something in the service. And now I'm like, everybody can see me because there's not enough people in here. And so go away. We'll talk later, you know. And, and, and so it always hard for transitions, that type of thing. But I love it. And I'm, I'm so glad that you made it here to Luminous. And, and, uh, and that's inside my brain this morning. You're going to get a lot more of that inside my brain. I pray that you get some of my heart, but most importantly, I pray the Holy Spirit ministers to you this morning. And if you have your Bibles, turn to Nehemiah chapter 9, and uh, you're like, what are we doing, Pastor? We're done with Nehemiah. You said we were done last week, and in my heart of hearts, we were done last week. We were done with Nehemiah. We would have not revisited it. I was, I, I ended it on a great note, I thought, um, but, you know, I think differently than most. And, uh, and, and so I didn't want to finish the last four chapters because not only is there a lot of substance, but, but I've been studying 1 Corinthians 9 all week, and, and I wanted to preach 1 Corinthians 9 to the week. I became weak, and I want to talk about winning our city, and I want to, I want to do some of this, but my friend go, bro, you can't do that. You can't do that. You have to finish the book that you started. You told everybody you were going through Nehemiah. How can you not finish the book? I was like, man, I do not like you right now. And so for some of you who, like, um, who finish what they start, which is uh, probably most of you in here, I'll assume that. I'll assume the best about you. Um, I'm not a person who likes to finish what he starts. I like to read the first chapter of a book and then read the end and I'm done. And so that's how I like to live my life. But when you live your life in such a way, you kind of miss out on the greatness of the in-between. And, and there's a lot of greatness of the in-between. And so we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 9 this morning. And and, uh, and and we're gonna we're gonna treat this as a survey. So if you've ever uh, been in an Old Testament or New Testament survey, and you go through through a chapter, it'll be an overview. We'll pull out a couple of things through the rest of the chapters. Then Nehemiah will finish strong, although it is finishing poorly. Because if you read the last few verses of Nehemiah, you're like, why am I reading this? I mean, this is horrible. And uh, and and so it's not like a cheery message at the end, you know. But it is a, a challenging message to the church to the people of the church. Nehemiah is a great leadership book. If you, um, just to catch you up, Nehemiah was, was 
um, in Babylon, and as he was there, uh, or in Persia, I apologize, in Persia, as he was there, um, it, he, he realized that, that Jerusalem was forsaken, he was 800 miles away, and as he's away, um, he, he gets a burden and a passion, he starts praying for this city, because this city wasn't just an ordinary city. It wasn't just an just ordinary city in time. It was the city of God. It was God's glory on earth through the temple that was built. That's where God dwelt. His presence dwelt in the temple. And he breathed life into that temple. And everybody who came from all over the globe to come to that temple. It's, it's like many of us who go to Mecca or, or different religions. It's, that's, what, that's how important this was. And, and in fact, it wasn't just a monument, but it was a place for the presence of God. And around this city was a big old wall that was about two miles, a little over two miles long. It was it was super tall, super wide. It was going to take a lot of time to to rebuild this thing that was destroyed. And 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 when Nehemiah got word of this and got wind of this, he he said, "I need to go build that wall." As Ezra builds the temple, I'm going to build the wall so that the people can worship God freely and safely. How many of you think that's a great thing? Like for, to worship God freely and safely. It, it's, it's something we take for granted in the United States, in a, in a free country. It's something that we take for granted sometimes. But to worship God freely, knowing that there's going to be no one who knocks down the door right now. And, and, and it's going to be it's going to be free worship and it's not against the law and we won't be taken to jail. It's amazing. Some countries don't have that privilege, don't have that opportunity. There's a lot of persecution in the world today. And we've talked about some of that. And so in Nehemiah chapter nine, we read about the story of of the wall being built. And, and Nehemiah tells this story, if you remember from last week, where where the people followed God. And then they fell away from God. And they followed God and they fell away from God. And they followed God and fell away from God. Anybody ever, like, follow God and fall away from God? It kind of sounds familiar, you know. Like, man, I've been pursuing the Lord, but then I haven't been church in 20 weeks. And, and actually, not just church, but I've been doing a lot of bad things and, and doing a lot of me versus a lot of him. And there's a difference between me and him. God wants you to do him, which is the fulfillment of you. But if you just do you without him, it is the most selfish ambitions and desires and so God wants you to do him in Nehemiah chapter 9 verse 33 it's abstract preaching today praise God sometimes you can just stare at those paintings forever and they just mesmerize me so I'm praying you're mesmerized today and God do something in your heart okay Nehemiah 9 33 yet you have been righteous in all that has come upon us God is completely righteous through all the wickedness through everything for you have dealt faithfully and we have acted wickedly. You have dealt faithfully, and we have acted wickedly. You are faithful, we are wicked, in essence. This is a fascinating contrast. You don't really see this much in the Bible. The contrast between faithful and faithless is normally what we see, right? That would make sense. You're, you're a faithless people, and I'm a faithful God. But he, he, he takes it to a different extreme as God speaks. I'm a faithful God, and you are a wicked people. Whew, God, that hurt a little bit, like right there. I know how longer have the feels, you know, the feel goods. Like, so we we have acted wickedly, and I, I wanna I wanna set this up today that that we have a slogan at our church: you can belong in our church before you believe, and it's something that we really believe and really we strive for. Honestly, we we want to make space 
for every person who comes in. We want to provide chairs. We want to provide hugs. We want to provide love. And we want to show people how much God loves them and wants them and desires them even before they come to a moment of believing in God. It's a great thing. I think all churches should be like that. But unfortunately, not all churches are. And it's a mantra that we put on one of our values because it's something that you can lose. Right? So, so it's important to have values. Some of you have family values, individual values. Some of you have values in your workplace. You put things in writing because there's a tendency for humanity to lose those things that you value. Therefore, you write them down. And so we, we, we want people to to belong in this place before they believe because we know that as people are exploring Christ and wondering what all this is and have a lot of questions. Have you ever had questions? Who is God? Does he love me? Are those people real? Do they, do they talk about my outfit after I leave? Well, they, they really, really accept me and appreciate me? Will they let me in on the conversations? Will they be honest with me? Do, do, do they really take care of the poor and the widow and the orphan? Do they really do what God has commanded in the scripture? Does it line up? I'll say this. We fall short a lot. Fall short. Messed up. We, we missed the mark. But our hope is that we would. Our hope is that this moment would be an expression of God's heart for you. It would be an expression, an outward expression of God's heart for you. It's why we sing these songs. It's why when, when Octavia comes up here and sings joy and nobody's dancing with her. And, you know, I'm trying to do the shuffle. You know, the white person shuffle. You know, it's like really bad, you know. And, uh, and the white person offbeat clap, you know, because I like to throw it off, you know. And, and all that. It's like, is she really serious? Is there really joy in her? And is that joy contagious? And is that joy for me? So somebody asked. When they're, they're belonging but haven't believed, is that joy for me? Is that love for me? Is, is the word pastor preached this morning, is that for me? Did God do that for me? Or, or really, is, is it God's heart that all men shall repent and come to know the kingdom? Is that, is that true? And if so, why, why not me? And so you move in this place of belonging, and we make space, and we make room for it, and, and we want to make room for that. And so, so there's going to be people in here who don't look like you, come from different walks of life. And, and because it's something that we value, and we cherish, and we trust that, that God's going to work out things. And, and then you move into this place of belonging, and, and, and then eventually you're faced with a decision. Those who belong in this place, they're faced with a decision. And I'm no, I'm no God or, or demigod up here telling you when to make that decision. I'm not telling you, hey, you need to decide today who you serve. You know, Joshua had those moments, and there will be moments like that maybe that God puts in your heart for certain people. But, but for you, there's still room, and there's still time, and there's still space and all that stuff. But there's going to be a moment where you're faced with the decision, do I believe or do I leave? Everybody who belongs in our space will be faced with this. And do I believe or do I leave? And some will decide to leave. They'll decide that, 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 that they just aren't ready or, or maybe they're, they're too confronted or, or, or sin is talked about too much. And the Holy Spirit's convicted me to an overwhelming place. 
or I can't handle it, but yet I don't want to give in to the Holy Spirit and what he's doing, and I'm not ready to believe, and therefore I'm going to leave. What's amazing is our church is, will always be a place for the person who left to come back. For the prodigal who didn't feel like he was worthy, who comes and, and he's wondering if the father is even going to let him serve in the house. And the father's out there waiting and say, you're not serving in this house. You are a son in this house. You are a daughter in this house. Come back. But he decided, I'm coming back because I believe. So it's a hard thing. It's a hard thing. But God is faithful. What does that mean? He's faithful to forgive your sins. He's faithful to cast your sins as far as the east is from the west. He's faithful to keep loving you and pursuing you. He's faithful that he will keep all of his promises and not return one void to you. It's why we say we hide this word in our heart, the Bible, and we read it every day. And, and we hide it in our heart because it's promises and it's the word and it's for me. And it will not return void because he is faithful to his promises. He is faithful to his mission. He is faithful to what he said. And his faithfulness. It's fully displayed in Jesus who was faithful to the cross, to death, who rose again from the grave. He's always been faithful. He'll always be faithful. His faithfulness will not go unnoticed or undone. It's who he is. It's what he wants. And he's always there. And the woman who was caught in adultery in John 8:10, she was caught in the act of adultery. You fill in the blank, whatever that looks like or means. She was dragged out. I don't know if she was naked. I don't know if she was, had a sheet around her. I, I don't know her state. But they dragged her out in the middle, and they were ready to stone her and kill her because that's what the law said, that she did, was unfaithful. Therefore, she's wicked, and because she's wicked, she deserves stoning because we must separate wickedness from the people of God, wickedness from, from God. And there was no forgiveness. There was no redemption. And yet, and yet, they, they made this a public act and brought it on public display. And there she is. And she's being sped on. She's being kicked on. She's doing all these stuff. And then Jesus comes in because Jesus was bringing out the fulfillment of the gospel, which is the greater gospel, which is, which is the fulfillment of the old law, which was to sustain a people so that, that he could come in and he could adopt them and he could pay for all of their sins and all their wrongdoings, and he could pay for the adultery. And so as he's looking at this woman, he says this thing. He says, go ahead, you who, have, who, who without sin throw the first stone. You who, who are without wickedness, go ahead and throw the first stone. You who have, have completely been holy your entire existence and your entire life, go ahead and throw the first stone. And what happens, not one of them could do it because we all fall short. We all miss the mark. Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. And yet he was the one who could. He said this, Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you in John 8, 10? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on sin no more. Go and from now on Sin no more. And this is what I want to talk about as a theme this morning is that we need to be a people moving into the 
to the sanctification of becoming more like Christ. That we would be a people set apart holy to look more like Jesus. Because we have received his love, we freely give his love, and, and we start walking in that. It is what we'd, we'd say what, you would throw off the, the sin that so quickly hinders you. The sin that hinders you that you would run your race. Because when you lose the baggage, you can run a lot faster. And, and that's the freedom of Christ that he wants for you. He says, Go and sin no more. From this, I conclude that this woman didn't go back to the man she was committing adultery with. From this, I conclude that she decided, I'm going to not go back into adultery, but I'm going to move in the walk and the grace of God, and I'm going to start moving towards him because he is so worth it. Because I was, I was forgiven much, I will love much, and I will display this all for all to see, and I'm going to start walking this out. For some of us in this room, we're, we're belonging and, and now we're, God's convicting us of maybe some sins and maybe some past and some things. And he wants, to, he wants to start messing with you and moving with you. And he's saying, hey, I love you. Stop it. Just stop it. Just start walking in the freedom of Christ. Start walking in the love. And how do we walk in this? Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That, that she started following the light. And therefore, if she's in the light, she is fully light. There is no darkness in her. And that's amazing. And that's called when you become um, regenerated in Christ. You become a new creation. You look just like him. And, 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 and you start shining. And there's light in you. And, and then he starts seeing you differently. And, and then when I make a mistake, Mistake. He, he's okay because he's there and he loves me and he, he is faithful. He's faithful. He says that I am chosen. I'm set apart. I'm a royal priesthood. I'm carrying you. You are my daughter. You are my son. This is what he has said. And if I'm his son, I will never not be a son. And if I'm a daughter, I will never not be a daughter, for it is written. It is written in the Lamb's book of life, for I'm forever, forever ingrained in it. And I'm now fully in the light. And so now I must walk as though I'm in the light. That's what Ephesians 5 says, that, that you would walk in the light, that you would start walking in this truth and walk in freedom. And that's what God wants for you. And he doesn't want you to be, to be in this place of shame and guilt. He's, he doesn't want you to keep the same habits and the same patterns of sin. He doesn't want to give you over to your happiness. You see, in our society, in our culture, it's, it's this, the the, what the precursor for holiness is happiness. And that's just not a truth. In fact, it's, it, it must be holiness and then happiness. That the, you, will, you will have to go after God and walk in his holiness knowing that I'm going to give away some things. I'm going to give up some of my desires that make me happy. Who wants to be happy in here? Yeah, three of us. Awesome. I want to be happy. I want to be happy. I want to, I'm going to get over my, I'm going to give myself over to complete happiness, complete fulfillment, complete satisfaction. And whatever I decide makes me happy, I'm going to do is what culture is telling us right now. Whatever makes you happy, go do it. But in fact, that happiness could violate your holiness. If that's a violation, should you still do it? Or should you remain holy, knowing that God is faithful? That he will fill you with joy and he will fill you with happiness. 
It's something that was hard to do in the kingdom of God and hard to do in the church is to trust that God is faithful. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9 says this. Y'all already know I'm going to go long because we went long in the first service and some of y'all were waiting outside for us to leave. So hallelujah. We're going to finish early Jesus. Crazy. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. That God's ways are better than our ways, and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, and, and everything about God is better than you. Everything. There's not one thing you're better at than God. So your decision making is not better than God. Your decision making actually comes in this place of of being subject to God and it's based out of that. Oh, that's hard. Does anybody know that's hard? I got to confess, I don't obey that all the time. And anytime I don't obey that, anytime I don't subject myself to that, means I don't think God's faithful. Means I don't think God's trustworthy. See, I, I lack trust. I, I lack trust that, God, you're really going to fulfill, um, as a single person, all my sexual needs. You're going to completely fulfill that if I just walk in you. I trust that. And as a married person, I, I fully trust that, God, you're going to meet all my sexual needs. Right? And, and, and when you quit believing that, that's, that's the first sign that you you've, uh, give yourself over to forni- fornication, which is sex outside of marriage. And you compromise your purity in this walk and all these things. Or you give yourself over to pornography because fornication is, is taboo maybe in your family. So I'll just hide it all and I'll give myself over to pornography. Or, or maybe, maybe it's something else. Maybe it's not sexual, but maybe it's something ethical that, that's in your workplace. And maybe it's financial or maybe it's something else. But you start compromising all. All these things because because it's just I don't trust God. I don't believe He's enough. I don't believe that. But if I don't trust Him, I'm wicked, right? Because He's faithful, and I'm wicked. And your wickedness is actually a great place to start, because when you recognize your wickedness, it brings you in a place of repentance, and then you get right with God. God says, I love you. I love you. I want you. Hey, I know it's really hard to trust me in this area. I know we've been working on it for, you know, three, four, five years, 20. It's really hard because, you know, my, my dad walked out on me, and so I just, I don't trust men, and therefore, therefore I'm, going to, I'm going to control men. I'm going to control men in any way possible because I don't trust, I don't trust men anymore. And what I'm saying is, God, I don't trust you. I don't trust you with this one area of my life. I, I want to. I, there's some desire in me too, but I don't believe it yet. It's good to know this, that, that, that God wants you to grow up. God wants maturation in you. As those who are in Christ, for those who have been coming and they do believe, and, and some of you have in this room, and some of you have not, but for those who believe in Christ, he's calling, calling you to mature. I want maturation in your life because I want you to grow up because the whole point of this is I want to let you know that I'm trustworthy. 
you can trust me, I'll be faithful. And this was the people back and forth in Nehemiah. Back and forth, back and forth. Oh, I trust God. He's awesome. He's going to complete the walls. 52 days he did it. He's awesome. And then, and then all this happens in chapter 10 where, where, where Nehemiah says, okay, okay, you trust God. He built the walls. Now let's re-up. Let's re-up the covenant. Let's start talking about the law. Let's start talking about the things that are going to keep you holy from the walls falling again in your life. Let's start talking about it. You, you shouldn't marry somebody who's ungodly. So it was one of the laws. You shouldn't marry an ungodly person. If they're ungodly, don't be with them. And all the single ladies, he's really cute. You know, I think he will. You know, he's belonging. Maybe he'll come believe, you know, in a little bit. The, the, the law to honor the Sabbath. You should honor the Sabbath. That you should set a day apart to honor me. Because in our tendency and all that we are is we are doers. I got to do more. I got to do more. I got to do more. Oh, there's never enough. Never enough time. How many of you use this? I'm busy. I'm just so busy, Pastor. I'm so busy. I'm so busy. Never enough time. Whew. That's the biggest lie that you could believe and sit on. Because what will happen is it will bleed into what God has for you. Believing you have to do it versus he doing it. That's the whole point of the Sabbath is that God does it, not you. So it's time to rest and, and, then, and then to not neglect the house of God and, and to bring in the tithe into the storehouse so that, so that people, the, the Levites and the priests could be taken care of and the house could pay their bills and their lights and all that stuff. Do all that, you know, the, all the law right there. He says all this stuff and it's good. And then, and then in chapter 11, he says this, that the leader should return to Jerusalem. Go ahead. Every, every tribe, I, I, I want you, every different household, uh, send a leader over to Jerusalem because we got to take care of this house. We, got, we just built up the wall. And we need leaders. We need leaders in this place. We need leaders to serve. We need leaders to, to work. We need leaders to teach. We need leaders to sing. We need all sorts of leaders. And, and, and that's no different than the church today, the church in, in the world today that God has said, up that Jesus has paved the way for he, he needs leaders he needs people to step up and and start doing things and and sometimes we think those things are so little like why am I shaking a hand for three years this is so weird I'm kind of tired right some of us do that and and yet God needs leaders he needs leaders to shake hands and leaders take out trash and leaders teach and leaders to preach and leaders do cafe and he needs leaders godly leaders in the workplace to lead connect groups and bible studies and he needs he needs you to different platforms and different venues and he, he God is looking for leaders he needs leaders and how do I know he needs leaders in Matthew 9 37 then he said to his disciples the harvest is plentiful Meaning there, there are so many who want to respond to the gospel. It, it is white as snow. It is, it is ready. And, and the world is ready to hear about Christ. They're, they're looking for the hope of the world. I mean, it's amazing. You can, you can run an election on the platform of hope. And everybody rallies around it because we need hope. We need hope. We want to hear about hope. Because we're a hopeless people and our situations seem hopeless at times. But, but the truth is, it's like, it's like you have the greatest hope inside of you. And God wants to release it to the world. The good news of who Jesus is. What he said he would do. What he accomplished. And what he gave you. Life. And life to the full. You have the greatest hope. 
The greatest message is inside of you. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. That that you would start praying for laborers, praying that God would send people. I know some of you have been praying for that in your workplace. God, send me another Christian, another believer that I could lead a Bible study with. Some of you in college have, have prayed for that for your roommate. God, I just want a roommate who loves Jesus because, because I know that the harvest is plentiful and there's much to accomplish here at the university. God, I'm just praying for that and believing for that. You need to start praying for that. Lord, I'm praying for godly neighbors because this neighborhood needs to be reached and we need people who know Jesus and love Jesus. And, and we start asking God for that. And us as a church, we do, God, we know that there are people not connected. We know that there are maybe kids um, not cared for. We know that there are so many things, Lord, that we ask for laborers. We ask for people who will share the gospel and help make that known to the world. And then in chapter 12, we have the dedication of the wall and the service at the temple. In verse 27, it says this, and at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, They sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem, celebrate the dedication with gladness and with thanksgivings and with singing with cymbals and harps and lyres. In verse 30, and the priests and Levites purified themselves and they purified the people and the gates and the wall. That what they did to dedicate the wall, they consecrated themselves. They, they, they cleansed themselves from all impurities, all unholiness. And, they, and then they began to sing. They sing. Some of the men in here are like, dude, I don't sing. I, I read. I read up there sometimes. Sometimes I stare at that person right there that, you know, they're doing that weird tap, you know. I, right? They sing. It's no different that across the city of San Antonio, there are, there are churches set up on the walls all over the city, and they're singing. Every Sunday, Sunday, they're singing. What does that mean? They're declaring God is good. God is great. And there's something powerful when the church meets together to sing. There's something powerful. What happens is God starts to move and he starts to dedicate a region and a place and a city when the, when the church is spread out. And, and this is exactly what is happening. Okay, okay, you singers, you choir, you, you worship team go over there on that wall. And you worship team go over there on that wall. And you worship team go over there on that wall because it's two miles long and we need a lot of worship teams, you know. And, and, and the city is... The city is 1.4 million people, and we need a lot of worship teams, and we need a lot of people out there, and we need to encourage, and we need to start ushering in the presence of God, saying that we are all people dedicated to God for his good works and his pleasure, and we're going to give our life to this all week long. I'll see you next Sunday. We're going to sing. See you next Sunday. Let's worship. And I don't know why, but, but God gave men testosterone, and it's amazing because they have a bass, and we need bass because bass makes your heart shake. It makes everything shake, and, and I love the pretty, I love the pretty, you know, everything else, but I love a bass too, you know. And a bass without the pretty is just annoying, but the pretty without a bass is just high pitch. And so, so we need both, and we need men and women singing, and we need to start declaring on this wall that God is good. He's faithful. He gives me joy. He gives, me, he gives me love. He's gracious. He's for me, not against me. We're declaring this and we're singing this on the walls and we're singing this in the city so that we can keep doing what God has called us to do. In chapter 13, we're going to read this together. I promise I won't get you out late. 
But you don't know what late is, so. <laughs> Just kidding. Verse 1. I, I, I was listening to Matt Chandler's message as I was studying 1 Corinthians 9. I was like, I need, I need some help. Matt Chandler, the great theologian. <laughs> and so I listened to him in chapter 13, and he talks about this. As we read chapter 13, he talks about the church is prone to drift. And he talks about different drifts that we're prone to do in the church. And I, I want to I talk about some of those in chapter 13, these drifts, the things that, the things that put you out there where you're just drifting. You know, you know what drift means? Like when you're in that boat and you're deep sea fishing and you run out of fuel, you know? And, and what happens? You just go. And you have no power to get back to where you came from. No power to get to the direction that you need to go. You're just drifting along. And somebody, the church, the church, if we aren't careful to recognize these drifts, we may lose the power that God wants you to have to go in the direction that the church needs to go to do what it needs to accomplish. Does that make sense? So go with that mind frame right here in 13.1. On that day they read from the book of Moses and the hearing of the people. And it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever enter the assembly of God. For they did not meet the people of Israel with bread and water but hired Balaam against them to curse them. Yet our God turned the curse into a blessing. As soon as the people heard the law they separated from Israel all those of foreign descent. Now before this Elisha the priest who was appointed over the chambers of the house of our God who is related to Tobiah, y'all remember Tobiah, who was constantly against Nehemiah and the wall, prepared for Tobiah a large chamber where they had previously put the grain offering, the frankincense, the vessels, and the tithes of grain, wine, and oil, which were given by commandment to the Levites, singers, and gatekeepers, and the contributions for the priests. The first drift is this, is that, that um, the first drift is this, that we, we, have a tendency to give room in our heart to things that distract us from God. That we have a tendency to, to make a room where the things of God should dwell and be in our mind. And we make a room for, for our own pleasure or desire, if that makes sense. It's a drift that we constantly face within our society and for all societies that have existed, actually. Is that, that we want to make room for the enemy to take a foothold or a stronghold, as the word would say, to give him permission to come in to do things. And the way that you give permission to the enemy is you open a door by doing something ungodly that you shouldn't do. And, and then you start putting bricks up. And you're like... God, I, I like to go out and, and party and, you know, try to, try to get a one-night stand. <laughs> That's a brick one. And like, oh, that was fun. I, I was pretty gratified by that. That was awesome, actually. I loved the exhilaration of it. I loved all that. I'm going to do that again. And you put another brick up. And, and eventually you make this whole room. And some, some of you, the room has glass walls where it's transparent. And people know that you're doing that. And for others of us, the, the room is hidden. We've given ourselves over to sin, and we made a room where we're supposed to be holy. See, all of you are supposed to be holy. God wants all of you to be holy. He, he paid the price for all of you. You are a temple of God. That's what God would say. You are completely holy. He has set you apart. He wants all of you, not just some of you. 
He doesn't want just your thoughts on Sunday morning. He wants your thoughts on Saturday night. He wants your thoughts on Friday night. He wants your thoughts on Friday morning before any coworkers get to the workplace. He, he wants all of you. And so what, this is what happened. And as a result, because of this room, it, it, it actually violated the temple. Do you realize that, that the temple was suffering because they made room for the enemy to come in? And, and sometimes we do that. And so what do we do, pastor? Because sometimes all of us, we make room for that. The first thing is you have to be in your word. You have to be in this thing every day. Every day I got to read these word, this word. I got to let it convict my heart. I got I to write the truths. I got to remember the promises. I got I to write the love letters that he's writing me every day. I, I need to hide this word in my heart because he's faithful. And if I hide this word in my heart, it won't return void, will it? Because his word doesn't return void. That means if I hide it in there, it's, it's going to last and it's going to build something amazing. And there won't be room for other rooms. There won't be room for, for Tobias and, and there won't be room for any of that. But, but the other thing you need is you need community. You need godly community. Because if you're like me, sometimes you read this thing and you make it say what you want to say. Anybody ever do that? Well, for instance, you know, some of you, I, I use this illustration for a service. So good. But some of you single men, you know, you're just praying. God, I just, I pray for my pray for my wife right now and Lord I just pray you bring her right now and I'm reading the word right now oh today I'm in Esther Woo, Lord it's a sign today you're going to give me a woman named Esther Woo, I can't wait for Esther and then you go to tender and you start looking oh that's Esther right there Woo, she good looking Lord oh thank you God bless you let's do it you know swipe right you and Esther go out you tell her you're my soulmate because I was praying for you and she thinks you're real spiritual you know, and then all of a sudden, y'all doing things and hanging out, going places you shouldn't be going. And, and what happens is you weren't in community. You, you, didn't have, you didn't have a friend in your life said, what are you doing? Like, what the heck, man? Get off of that. You ain't marrying no Esther. Like, stop it. Stop it. You're just going to look. You're going to God's word selfishly. You haven't even emptied yourself before you went to it. You're just trying to find stuff that, that affirms everything that you already believe. Why don't you let him affirm the things of Jesus and who Jesus is and you line up to him. That, that, that's what we should be doing. But, but we don't like to do that. I don't want to live. Because, you see, see, I don't trust God. I don't trust God that he's going to bring my spouse. I don't trust God that he's going to bring me a godly person. I don't trust God in this area. In fact, I just want to be affirmed, actually, and, and this person helps affirm me. And, and all I need to be affirming in my life is Jesus. Let Jesus be the affirmation of my heart and my affection and my desires and everything. And you need community. And some of you need to step into somebody's life. Hey, man, let's do life. Right? And some of you need to invite it. Hey, man, I don't have any community. I have no one to keep me in check. Can you keep me in check? Like, seriously, like, I've been reading this thing, and, man, I'm still doing the same stuff. Oh, man, man, let's, let's, let's pray together. Let's live together. Let's walk together. Let's do this. We, we, we need this so often in verse 6. It says, while this was taking place, I was not in Jerusalem. For in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I went to the king. And after some time, I asked leave of the king. And they came to Jerusalem. And then I discovered the evil that Elisha had done for Tobiah, preparing for him a chamber in the courts of the house of God. And I was very angry. And I threw the household furniture of Tobiah out of the chamber. I love that. Like, let me just kick this stuff out of here. He, 
Nehemiah is a very, like, violent person, I guess. Um, then I gave orders, and they cleansed the chambers, and I brought back there the vessel, the house of God, with the grain offering and the frankincense. I also found that the portions of the Levites had not been given to them, so that the Levites and the singers who did the work had fled each to its field. Verse 11, so I confronted the official and said, why is the house of God forsaken? Why is it forsaken? I gathered them together and set them in their stations. Then all Judah brought the tithe of the grain, wine, and the oil in the storehouses. And I appointed as treasurers over the storehouses Shelemiah the priest, Zadok the scribe, and Padiah of the Levites. And as their assistant, Hanan the son of Zachar, son of Mataniah, for they were considered reliable. They were reliable. And so there was this moment where Nehemiah learned a lesson of putting men in charge who are reliable men, men proven who were worthy of leadership, proven in their acts of integrity, proven in their acts and affection towards God. And this was amazing. And, and, and the second drift, the second drift that Chandler sets up, he says that we often have this, this thing where we drift from authority. We drift from authority. Now, I, I, it puts me in an awkward position because I'm in the authority over the House of Luminous. I'm in authority, and I'm talking about how you don't need to drift from me. Otherwise, it's not going to go well for you. That, that, that's what I'm telling you. And, and, and truth is, that's how God set it up. And God in his, in his holiness and his, his all-knowingness and all-powerfulness has set up authority in place in the church to help instruct the church. But check this out. There's, there's checks and balances. Hebrews 13, 7. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep and watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. That we have to give an account for how we care for you, how we love for you. Our measure of authority. Some of you have been in churches where, where authority was abused. Some of you have been in churches and maybe it's, praise God, come on. Some of you have been in churches where authority is abused, right? Some of you um, in the media and the Catholic church have walked away from the Catholic church because you saw authority being abused. There's so many abuses that happen. But I'm going to let you know that God is faithful. And he's going to keep some checks and balances. And where authority is abused, it will be dealt with. The thing is, you're not necessarily the person to deal with it. And that's a hard part about authority. When you're in a position under authority, you want to deal with it. Or you want to do something about it. Right? And, and I will say this. I invite men in my life to keep me in check. Because I'm not perfect. I have elders and a board over me to keep me in check. And God uses those people to help put me in check. And the leaders, your connect group leaders and different people, they, they, they're doing their best to see over you and see over your group. But they may not be fully equipped or, or fully right all the time. We understand that. But the thing is, if we drift from authority, we find ourselves in the middle of an ocean without fuel without any power to get where we're supposed to get. Where we don't have the fuel to get where we're supposed to be going. And so, so I would encourage you just like this, that we have to find reliable men and women, and women, right, in, in leadership 
to put them in places and positions in order to help steer different areas. So, so it's why we have different um, standards and, and, and places for our elementary and our teachers here at Luminous Church that, that you must um, be in complete agreement with Jesus and, and the doctrine that, that Luminous sees fit. And you must come in alignment with that in your life. Should, should come in agreement with that, right? Like it should come in agreement with that. And, and you should be a reliable person who we know is not going to abuse their position and their power. And the longer we walk and the more news we see, we will see authority abused. We will. But that doesn't mean that God's not faithful. It means that God's not trustworthy. He is faithful and he's trustworthy over you, over his church over the people he's put in place. In those days, I saw in Judah people treading wine presses on the Sabbath, verse 15, and bringing in the heaps of grain and loading them on donkeys and also wine grapes, figs, and all kinds of loads, which they brought in Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them on the day when they sold food. And then, and then it goes on and talks about how they, they ended up um, just selling stuff on the Sabbath day, and they ended up um, making, making uh, the Sabbath an own holy day. And in fact, in, when they got kicked out of the gates, they would set up their tents right there, and they start camping out with all their food. They're ready like, you know, like vultures, you know. They're about to go in, and they're going to sell all this stuff, and they're, they're, they're very greed-driven, right? They're very self-driven. And, and I'm going to tell you, like, there's a, there's a power and a principle, like I said earlier, with, with six days, you can do a lot. God can honor you and bless you and do everything that you need to do. But if you don't have a day of rest, a day of Sabbath, then what happens is you're saying, God's not enough. Why do we keep talking about this? Because, because I keep getting the text messages from the guys who are working. And they're, they're at home at night working on their phones, you know, when they should be with their family. And they're, 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 they're on Sunday. They, they have to go work. They have to go work. And it's just more work and more, 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 more. Well, you have to keep doing stuff and checking off these boxes. Otherwise, it's not going to go well for you. And, and you just there's not enough time. And, and how can God do this? And, and the truth is, is God can honor the days that he gives you. He can honor the time if you just trust him that he's faithful. So the third drift is we're prone, we're prone to drift by doing rather than being. By doing all the checklists rather than just sitting and being a son and a daughter. And that's what the Sabbath brings you. And then lastly in verse 23 it says this. In those days also I saw the Jews who had married a woman, women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. And half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod, and they could not speak the language of Judah, but only the language of each people. And I confronted them and cursed them and beat some of them and pulled out their hair. And I made them take an oath in the name of God, saying, you shall not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons or for yourselves. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin on account of such women? Among the many nations, there was no king like him, and he was beloved by his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, foreign women made even him to sin. Shall we then listen to you and do all this great evil and act treacherously against our God by marrying foreign women? And all you were like, what is going on? I can't marry any foreign woman. Well, I, my wife's a Latina. And we have an interracial marriage. And this has nothing to do with interracial marriage. 
nothing to do with interracial marriage. But I'm going to tell you, this is what it has to do is there were people from different cultures who were bringing in their pagan ways into the marriage and having and, and worshiping in a pagan way. And it was about making something holy unholy. And it's, why, it's speaking more what Paul speaks about. Don't be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. Because a house divided against itself shall not stand. Don't be unequally yoked because when you're divided against yourself, you can't stand. If you have, if you have this strong person who loves God and you're unequally yoked, then, then, then it just becomes a challenge and it becomes very hard. And, and many, many people and many nations have fallen as a result. This in particular, one of them. And so maybe you're, you're both not saved before before marriage and you get married and then one comes to know Christ it's better for you to stay married and love them like Christ would love the church and you would love them and you would cover them and believe that I'm going to save them families I'm going to save them too don't be unequally yoked and 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 this is a prime example where where for centuries we misread the word for centuries, it was some person reading the word wanting to justify their actions and their behavior that they wanted some kind of racism or prejudice. And they said, oh, no, you can't marry somebody that doesn't look like you because right here. And, and that's an abuse of scripture. So we need community. We need to be in right doctrine. We need to be around each other. Don't make scripture say what you want it to say. Make it say what it says. It's very important. One of the sons of Jehoda, the son of Elishab, the high priest, verse 28, was the son-in-law of Sanballat, the Horonite. Therefore, I chased him from me. <laughs> oh, man. You know, just be godly and your son will have favor. Be ungodly, your son may not. Remember then, oh, my God, because they have de desecrated the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites. Thus, I cleanse them from everything foreign and I establish the duties of the priest and Levites each in his work and I provided for the wood offering at appointed times and for the first fruits remember me oh my God for my good if you would stand with me this morning and I want to encourage you because here's the thing is Paul writes about setting in order the church he, he, he writes about setting in order the church in Corinthians. And his team comes up, we're going to prepare for communion. And uh, as he begins to write, you got to come on up, Sebastian. As, as the team comes up, I want to talk about Paul and Corinthians. The church in Corinth was an intersection for trade. There were, there were all sorts of religions and everything going through these trade routes, all sorts of world beliefs colliding in one place. And as a result of all these beliefs coming into one place, the, the church of God that the Holy Spirit started ministering in and people started coming to know Jesus, there was a bunch of people getting saved who was bringing all their perspective and all their life and everything that they've done into one place under one roof, under one house. And, and it created chaos. Like, people were sleeping with each other. They were suing each other. They were doing so many things that, that just were not godly. And so Paul wrote this letter. He penned this letter to bring them under godliness. And, and, and what he writes about in 1 Corinthians 11, he writes about the Lord's Supper. 
He writes about how do, how do we keep from drifting away? How we keep drifting all the time? How we keep drifting from all these temptations and all these lures and all these things? Then Jesus was the, the, the greatest and the master of helping all this take place. What he did is he allowed communion to take place. I'm going to give you another microphone, Michelle. I'll give you mine. It says this, if you close your eyes and bow your head, I'd, I'd love to really talk through this. So we're almost done. We're going to take communion together, and this is what Paul wrote in Corinthians. First Corinthians chapter 11, verse 18. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. So many divisions, I believe it in part. I believe some of these divisions, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. There's a difference. There's something happening. When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For eat and eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have Houses to eat and drink in, or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. When he had given things, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. He was saying this, that we're all, we're all jacked up, we're all messed up, and that, that the church is divided out of these preference or the way they're misinterpreting scripture. But the great equalizer is this, that we need to come to the place of the Lord's Supper, remembering that Jesus gave his life, and he shed his blood to cover all my wrongdoings and to make us right and to make us one people under one roof. It is through the blood that makes this happen. And through a body that was broken, broken for you and me because you were worth it. And it was worth giving his body and allowing it to be broken, his body to be broken for you and me. And when you eat of this, remember me. Remember Jesus who makes all things equal under one roof in a house full of faith. Who makes the people look the same where we don't see black and white and we don't see color and we don't see this or that. We see a people who love God, a, a royal priest a chosen people I see sons and daughters bought with a price adopted with the same last name adopted and treated as equal so I invite you when we sing this song to come take communion on my left and on my right on the corner of the stages I just ask you to take that those elements and you will take those back to your seat you can take those anytime during this song let me pray for these elements. Father, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for your son, Jesus, who gave us the right to be called the children, the sons and daughters of God. God, I thank you for these elements. I thank you, God, that your blood was shed and your body was broken so that we could live under the same roof to accomplish the mission that you have put us on. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.